What I like about two services, I get to do it twice. Amen. But we are in Matthew chapter 12, felt the Lord was going to have me preach through this chapter. There's so many powerful uh, themes in here. And last time we were together, we talked about legalism and the foolishness of it, talking about the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. I'm going to recap that a little bit, but this week we pick up as Jesus, after he has an interaction with the Pharisees in the grain fields, he goes to the synagogue and has a, runs right into another ambush, as it were. Uh, these guys are stalking him here, but he comes away every time having uh, shown who he was and exposing who they are. And so I'll pick up in verse 9 of chapter 12. I'm going to thank God for the word, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 14, and we're going to unpack it together. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come into this place and uh, come into your presence and worship you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we thank you for the move of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for moving in this place as we worship and preparing our hearts. Father, I pray now uh, that the Holy Spirit would continue to uh, uh, illuminate the word to us today and show us the deep truths and principles that you've talked in your word for those who seek you beyond the casual. Father, today we uh, ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would walk away from the word today changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So we're coming right out of the grain fields here. Jesus just has an unpleasant interaction with the religious power brokers, these nitpicky rule keepers, and they accuse his disciples of being lawbreakers. Do you know, if, they, if people can't find fault with you, they'll try and find fault with something connected to you. If the enemy can't get to you, he'll attack what is connected to you. And here are these Pharisees, these religious rule keepers, these snakes, as it were, just kind of stalking Jesus. You know, uh, they're watching him. They're looking for any misstep that they can accuse or attack him or discredit him. Now, the big offense that his disciples committed as lawbreakers was that they shucked some of the grain in the field and they ate it on their way to church. Did you have a snack this morning when you got up? The Lord rebuke you. How dare you eat on the Sabbath? Did you work to push the toaster button down? Did you crack an egg, God forbid? Do you see the foolishness of this here, how nitpicky it is? 
Yet that was the offense that they wanted to, you know, have a dissertation about. And Jesus schools them from the Old Testament. He talks about David he, he, eating the showbread. He talks about the priests, you know, uh, working on the Sabbath and being, uh, you know, not defiling it, but God overlooking that. So he's showing that there's a difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. The spirit of the law was that the Sabbath was there to refresh man so that, you know, we could be restored, we could be refreshed, we could enjoy the presence of God so that we could get up and face a week and and be usable, amen, for the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible teaches six days work, one day rest. If you rest one in seven days, God will refresh you and honor you. And I believe that the, the six days that you work will be more productive than if you work seven days. I've seen people working every chance, seven days, got to work. You know, they, 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 they sing that song, I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. Oh, I can't be in church, Pastor. And you know what? People who do that, their lives just fall apart. Let me just be honest with you. Over the decades, I've seen it. Honor God, rest, be in the house of God, get refreshed by the presence of God, amen? So these guys, uh, again, they, they miss the spirit of the law. They're looking for the letter. You know, after this confrontation, and it's unpleasant, and these guys are, you know, vitriolic, and they're coming against Jesus. So, you know, that's upsetting. Anybody get into a conflict where, you know, it upsets you a little bit? No, you guys like to fight. You're a bunch of... You know, you get into a confrontation, and, and it's just like, it's a little upsetting. You walk away. So no doubt the disciples were a little maybe frazzled by this. Jesus walks out of the grain fields right into the synagogue with his 12 disciples, and surprise, surprise, the Pharisees are there already. Another ambush, and seemingly they think he walks right into it. You know, don't be surprised. You know, they're on the way to church. Don't be surprised if the devil harasses you on your way to church. Amen. Why is Sunday morning so hard? The iron doesn't heat up. I can't find clothes that match. My children won't get out. Some of you don't care about the clothes that don't match part, but... Thank God. Thank God for showing up this morning. My kids won't get out of bed. You know, I got into a crazy fight with my spouse on the way to church. Anybody do that? Don't raise your hand. Just, just kind of go. That's why a lot of couples take separate cars to church. Take two cars. And so don't be surprised if the devil resists you on your way to church if there's a whole lot of drama. These guys are headed to synagogue. They're doing what they do on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are ambushing them. This is the second attack here. The enemy does the same thing. He likes to keep us out of the presence of God. You say, why? Because he's terrified of what can happen in the presence of God. Amen. He's terrified what happens at Full Gospel Center on Sunday morning. Look, if you come here with the right heart and worship God and sit under the anointing of the word, God is going to touch and change your life every time. I guarantee it. Because the word of God does that. Amen. So he doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you in God's house. doesn't want you in God's presence. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm in the right place at the right time. Yes, you are in the house of God. On Sunday, worshiping the Lord and sitting under the word, the enemy's terrified of what God is about to do in your life. 
Verse 10, we pick up with Jesus walking into the synagogue and he, he comes face to face with a man who needs a miracle. It says, and behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And so Jesus comes out of the grain field, out of that you know, interaction. He walks right into the synagogue and what's in front of him? A man with a withered hand. And who's behind him? The religious rule keepers. Now, I don't know about you. I'm from the Bronx, but that's a setup. Hello? Hello? That's not a coincidence. That's not an accident. I bet you they handpicked this guy with the withered hand so that Jesus could see, you know, right away he's got, the guy comes out and Jesus is face to face with something that needs restoration. And, and the devils are all behind him. And they're just, you know, they're like, yeah, we got you. We ambushed you. We set you up twice in a day. We're unrelenting. Jesus walks right in to their little ambush, but he's not surprised. There's a man with a withered hand there. And just to show you how rattled Jesus was with his altercation in the grain field, uh, he is completely unfazed and completely undeterred right here. He's not scared. He's not shrinking back. He's like, oh, you know, I'm having a rough day today. Come on. No, he comes face to face with these guys. And, uh, you, you know, they're trying to set him up. They're trying to discredit him. But he's not... He's not, you know, shrinking back at all. Now, most people at this point in the day would say to Jesus, Jesus, why don't you just take it down a notch? Why don't you just slow down, you know, uh, take a day off? Do you have to push it so hard with these guys? You know, they're powerful. You know, they, they can do things to you. So maybe you should just kind of, you know, relax a little bit and take a step backwards. And Jesus doesn't do any of that at all. You know, there's many times where we advance anything in our lives, anything in the kingdom of God, and, you know, where we get into a situation where we get a little bit scared and we take a few steps back. And we, you know, we just kind of really, you know, fall in line with everything that we're supposed to do. Anybody ever almost get a speeding ticket? Yeah, amen. You're going 70 to 30, you know, and, you know, you blow past the, the officer and for some, either he doesn't pull you over or he does pull you over and then he decides to give you a break. But you know how you drive right after that situation? I mean, you're like, signal, letting people go in front of you. You know, like I've been in some of those spots where it lasted a week. You know, we're like, man, I got to chill out. I'm out of control. That was a close one. Yeah, I know you're feeling me out there. And then you drive like that for a while, but you know what? It doesn't last. Before you know it, you know, you're on two tires going around a turn again. You know, you're trying to, yeah, I know. I'm late. I'm late. Where do all these slow people come from? Weaving in and out. But for a little while, we chill out. Why? Because we get scared. Notice, Jesus doesn't get scared at all. Jesus doesn't shrink back. He doesn't say, well, I'm really pushing it. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hit the hornet's nest. No, Jesus plows straight ahead, forcefully advancing the kingdom of God right in the face of his enemies and doesn't take one step backwards. You know what? And neither should we. And neither should we. And neither should we. Well, can't you just chill out a little bit? Can't you stop? Do you have to bring Jesus into every conversation? Do you, do you need to wear that shirt? Do you need to sing, you know, worship songs? Do you need to talk to everybody who has ears about Jesus? Can't you just relax a little? No. 
God didn't call me to relax. He didn't call you to relax. He didn't call us to shrink back. He called us to shine the light in the darkness to dispel the darkness. So Jesus is not rattled at all. He continues to forcefully advance the kingdom of God right in the face of his enemies. Now, the trap is set here, and the issue is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Notice, it's all centered around the law, legalism. Why do they come at him at that angle every time? It's all they've got. It's not about the heart with them. It's not about what's the right thing to do. It's not about, you know, how does God the Father feel about? No, is it lawful? It was all about rules. Religion loves rules. Religion loves to put burdens and yokes and rules and checklists and you can do this and you can't do that and you can do this and, and you can't. Well, you can do this, but don't enjoy it too much and don't have fun. And if I catch you smiling in church, then you're in big trouble. Come on, anybody ever grow up in religion? You got to be like, I like the way some of us come into the house of God, amen? Just dragging it in, just not trying to cover it up, just here I am, amen, right into the presence of God, where our burdens melt away, where our problems melt away, where the presence of God refreshes us. Yet these guys, here they come, and they're like, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're a bunch of snakes. You could almost hear the hissing in there. You brood of vipers, Jesus called them. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Weasels, right, Pastor Mike? Now, this is how they come at him. Notice it's an, it's an intellectual attack, and it's the reason that they come at him this way is because they think they're smarter than Jesus. Now, I want to talk about two things about the Pharisees' trap, two things you need to know about it. Number one, they thought they knew the answer to the question they'd asked. Be careful of people ask you questions and they think they know what the answer is. See, many times people will ask you a question that they do know the answer to, to, to see if you'll lie or tell the truth or how you're going to come at them. Hello? These guys asked the question that they thought they knew the answer to. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And to them, the answer is no. It constitutes work. Leave that hand withered until it's not the Sabbath anymore. Then you can work. Wow. What an interesting view. Yet they thought they knew the answer to the question that they'd asked. You say, well, why, why did they do that? Because they were being presumptuous, and they assumed that they had spiritual authority over Jesus, that they knew more than him. What a bad way to approach any situation. See, being presumptuous and assuming spiritual authority over anyone is a foolish game to play. Because you know what? Even if you're right, your pride is out in front. Now you've contended with them, but you've become contentious, and your sin is probably bigger than theirs. But the Pharisees were like, we're spiritually superior to everybody. We're head and shoulders above all of you lowly uh, spiritual peasants. We know the word inside out and backward. We know all the law and the prophets and can quote scripture. We know how to apply the law to your life in a way that will benefit us because we're morally superior to you. Wow. That's religion right there. I just pulled the shroud off of it. It's an ugly thing. Well, don't ask this question or don't ask that question or don't read the Bible for yourself. Just listen to what we tell you. 
the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, victory over the laity. You just listen to us and be quiet. Anybody come out of a church like that? Don't read the Bible for yourself. We'll tell you what it means. It's quiet now. So these guys were the quintessential religious nitpickers here, and they come at him, and they assume spiritual superiority over him, and they're moving in pride, yet they're playing a foolish game because they don't know who Jesus is. Now, people who intend to discredit and snare us will often ask questions that they already or think they know the answer to. We have two choices. You and I know when somebody's setting us up, when someone's asking questions, they, you know, where were you on Wednesday night? Or, you know, what did you, you know, they know the answer, or they think they do. Come on, anybody ever been in a situation like that? So what do you do? Do what Jesus did. Number one, Jesus either told the truth to them or he said nothing because it was none of their business. So tell the truth. When people come at you, when they want to, you know, expose you, when they want to trick you, when they want to snare you, you could tell the truth or you could do what Jesus did many times, say nothing. You know what makes people religious people, people who think they're spiritually superior to you, really angry when you say nothing. When Jesus stood before Pilate, when Jesus stood before the high priest, and they're like, you know, and he's like, and they're like, defend yourself. And he's like, no, I'm not gonna. Don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? You don't have any power unless my father allows you to have it. Come on, Jesus was silent a lot of the times. Like it is now. Let's practice. You laughers, come on, you're blowing it. Let's practice. Oh, that's good. Sometimes the spiritual thing is to say nothing. Sometimes the spiritual thing is just to lay a little truth down and walk away. Jesus did both of those things often. Yet they asked him a question they thought they knew the answer to, and in their spiritual pride, they were about to get schooled because they didn't know the right answer at all. Number two, the second thing I want you to see about the Pharisees' trap is this. They thought they would take Jesus down by putting him in a situation where he couldn't help himself. You see, they knew everywhere he went, he raised the dead, he healed the lame, he opened blind eyes. So they figure if we put a guy in front of him Obviously, with a withered hand, he will not be able to help himself. He'll heal him on the Sabbath, and now we've got him. Think about that for a second. This setup was here because they thought they could predict exactly what he would do, and it says so much about how dark these guys' hearts are when they plan to snare Jesus because he has a relentless desire to do good for others. Wow. The wicked trying to exploit the righteous over righteousness. The enemy will come at us in many ways, but he'll always attack the righteous because the righteous are the greatest threat to his kingdom. These guys understood Jesus, you know, if we put a sick person in front of him, he's going to heal him, and that's how they figured they would snare him and bring him down. Think about the darkness of what's going on in these guys' hearts. There's wickedness in the world. There's evil in the world. And you can close your eyes and pretend it doesn't exist, but it, it exists. Well, I'm just a pacifist. I just want to hide in the corners. I don't want to... Listen, God even gave his angels swords to carry because you can't beat evil with just words. 
the archangels carry swords. You read what they're going they're to use them on the enemy, amen? You and I need to understand we're in a spiritual battle. Well, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Fight while you love. This is a battle here, yet Jesus is not shying away. He's not shrinking back. Uh, they're trying to exploit him. In verse 11 and 12, Jesus responds to what the, uh, these Pharisees thought was a rhetorical question by shining a spotlight on their blatant hypocrisy. Look what it says in verse 11. And then he said to them, what man is there among you? So he's talking right to these guys. Hey, out of all you guys right here, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. So Jesus turns it right back on them, and he asks them a question. That's not rhetorical. Hey, guys, which one of you would let your sheep that's in a pit lay there all day on the Sabbath and not lift it out? And notice what the answer is. They have no answer at all. They, they, they don't say anything. So I want, you to, I want you to see what's going on here. Jesus just shined the light on their hypocrisy. Being unmasked as a hypocrite is one of the worst forms of public humiliation. And the religious pride of the Pharisees would make that sting even worse. Jesus shines the spotlight on them. You guys are hypocrites. You would pull an animal out of the ditch on the Sabbath so it didn't hurt your pocket. Because let's face it, animals were, were money back then. The cattle, it, it was food. It was, you know, it was like your BMW slid into the ditch. Are you going to leave it there? You going to let the slow, snow plow hit it? No, you're going to get it towed out. Hello? And so he's like, come on, guys, you're obviously hypocrites here. Which one of you would leave your animal in the ditch? Not one of them answers. He exposes their hypocrisy. He exposes their religious pride, and, and, and it's got a sting. Now, hypocrisy is one of the worst things to see in ourselves. There was a particularly pompous, self-righteous deacon who was attempting to impress upon his Sunday school class of boys the importance of living the Christian life. And he himself was obviously a man who lived the Christian life. So he said, can any of you boys tell me why people would call me a Christian? After a long, awkward silence, one young boy spoke up and said, probably because they don't know you? Oh... Now, be careful with children. They'll tell you the truth. They'll tell, children will tell you the truth. You got something in your nose, they'll tell you. Your zipper's down, they'll tell you. If you're a hypocrite, they'll tell you. Why would anyone call me a Christian? Well, they obviously don't know you. Hypocrisy is, you know, a hard thing to see in ourselves. Yet Jesus turns the spotlight right on them, and he's like, hypocrisy alert. Guess what, guys? Newsflash, you're hypocrites, and they have nothing to say. So which one of you would not rescue your sheep? Which one of you would leave your hands in your pockets and wait till sundown when the Sabbath was over and then see if the animal is still alive? Which one of you? No one says a word. Now, in verse 12, Jesus makes a conclusion here about the value of a man's life compared to an animal's life and I want you to listen to this, but nobody argues with his point. Verse 12, he says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? It's huh. a great question. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, I want to show you something. When Jesus says, how much more value 
is a man's life than a sheep, and nobody says a word. That just goes to show us how far we've fallen in our worldview today. Because a significant percentage of our culture today would argue this point with Jesus. There are people who worship creation and don't know the creator, and they think that a man's life is not worth any more than an animal's life, that inherently we're not worth more than uh, created beings, polar bears, seals, whatever, uh, you know, that they would argue that point. That's how far we've fallen. Even these religious hypocrites had more sense than a lot of people today in our society. Because at least they knew that man was the crowning jewel of God's creation that he formed from the dust and breathed the breath of life into and made him a living soul. That we are created in the image of God. We're a trichotomous being, three parts, body, soul, and spirit, mirroring the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been given, you know, this stature elevated above the angels here to to the point where we're going to judge these things. And, And people say, well, no, you know, we're just an animal among animals. In fact, Ingrid Newkirk, the head of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, made this infamous statement in a news article sometime in the early 90s. She said, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. I want to say it one more time. Gabados, that didn't get it the first time. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. What Newkirk is trying to articulate here is the fallacious idea that we are just animals among animals, that our lives are of equal worth uh, to a pig or a rat, but we're not above them. We're not inherently more precious than them. Your little baby boy or girl is no more valuable than a rat eating garbage on the streets. And that's the philosophy that fuels this creation worshiping. Look, I get it. I love animals. How many people have pets out there? Animals are an awesome gift from God, amen? They are so incredible. What a blessing it is. You know, and I get it. I totally get it. But look, if my dog was in the ocean being circled by sharks and there were other people in the water, I might pull my dog out first. You know, certain people. I get it. But to God, a human life is so much more precious than any animal life because we're eternal beings made in his image. We were considered worthy of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus didn't die for the birds and the squirrels and the cats and the rabbit. No, he died for humanity because we are the crowning jewel, the pinnacle of God's creation. We're different than animals. Yet, in our culture today, somebody would have argued the point with Jesus, which goes to show how far we've fallen in our worldview. God help us today. You say, man, them them people in biblical times, they were crazy. Those Pharisees, those Sadducees, they were crazy. You know what? When I look around today, I think we got our own brand of crazy that's probably even a little more crazy. We can't agree on marriage. We can't agree uh, over who's a boy, who's a girl. We've blurred the lines on everything. And and all it is is an attack on the word of God to blur the lines until there are no lines. These guys, as lost as they were, 
still understood the value of human life. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Luke 12, 6 through 7 says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Not one of them falls to the ground without God knowing it. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Wow. Human life is precious in the sight of God. We're worth more than many sparrows. You say, how many sparrows? I don't know. Many. Because human life is eternal, and there's a part of every living soul that will live forever. So... We move on here as Jesus gives one argument. He much shuts down the debate, and they're speechless. So the bottom line on this debate here, round two with the Pharisees in the synagogue, is that if it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath to protect your animals, your property, and your interests, certainly it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath for a person in need because people are worth more than animals. It's a real simple construct here, yet they don't have an answer for him in all their intelligence and all their spiritual prowess. They stand there speechless. So since Jesus wins the debate, in verse 13, he proceeds to do what he does best. In verse 13, he ignores these guys that he just bested, that have no rebuttal, and he says to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Can you picture this here? Such a powerful thing, such a simple thing. Yet he's like, well, since we have no other questions, anyone else got anything? And they're all like, and he's like, well, then I'm going to proceed to do what I do, which is heal the sick. And he just says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. What I want you to see here is a very simple command, stretch out your hand. Anyone can understand that, and anyone can obey that. And, and what, what is it met with? It's met with simple obedience, and he stretched out his hand. I want you to understand something. What's ever withered in your life, when God tells you to stretch, he's asking you to take a leap of faith. Do you realize that man with the withered hand, he, he could have argued with Jesus. He could have been like, I can't stretch it out. Don't you see it? It's withered. It's all, you know, I haven't been able to move it. And, you know, I, I rubbed medicine on it. And the doctor said it's going to be this way until, you know, but uh, I can't. No, Jesus commanded him to do something. And he took a leap of faith. At some point, that man had to just stretch it a little bit. And then, you know, once he did and God met him and the healing virtue of Jesus Christ touched his body and the hand came forward and it just began to untangle. Man, I wish I could have been there to see the faces as it just came out. And now, boom, it was just like the other one. Amen? Man, I wish we had videotape. I'd love to see the Pharisees. Ah, did the man laugh? Did he cry? Did he jump up and down? Did he hug Jesus? Did he try out his new stuff? Woo! <laughs> Stretch out your hand. And he takes a leap of faith. And he stretches it out. And God restores it just as good as the other. Just as good as new. What was withered in this man was restored. The way God restored it was to make it just as good as new. 
Couldn't we all use some restoration in our lives? Don't we all have some wither things that we could bring to Jesus? Are there things in us that, you know, they don't function anymore? They, they, they don't work like they used to. They're, they're, they're not like they're supposed to be. Yet, you know, somehow we've learned to live with them and tolerate them and work around them. And God never intended us for, for us to do that because he's our way maker, because he's our healer, because he's our alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end, the author and finisher of our faith. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So Jesus speaks to withered things, and all of us have them. Uh, Let's examine ourselves this morning and ask ourselves questions like, has my faith withered? You know, it's so easy for us just through marking time and living life to have our faith wither, you know, and our faith is withered. And, and you say, well, what, do we, what does it need, Pastor? It needs to be restored. You know, I used to believe God for big things. I used to ask God for big things, but now I don't anymore. I used to command mountains to move, but now I just kind of work around them. I, I used to square off against giants like David did, but now I just hide in the background and hope somebody else would do it. I used to do all those things, but not anymore. Maybe our faith is withered. And God is saying today, stretch it out. Take a leap of faith. I want to restore your faith. Maybe our hope is withered today and needs to be restored. Maybe we used to believe every promise that was in the word of God, that we would stand on the word, that we would quote the word, that we would say the word to the enemy. It is written. But not so much anymore. Maybe we used to count on God's intervention that when we were going through something, we were, it was not if, but when. When are you going to show up, God? Because I know you heard my prayer and I know you're coming, but now we don't hope anymore. Now we try to solve it ourselves. Maybe we used to look for his coming and hope in the Lord, that hope, that blessed hope that purifies us, that we're living ready and watching for the coming of Jesus, but we got worn out and we got complacent and our hope is withered, and it needs to be restored. Maybe our love is withered. It seems like love withers the fastest. I used to have tolerance for people. I used to have patience for people, but not so much anymore. I used to have love for my friends, my family, my spouse, but it's grown cold, and I've allowed it to wither. You know, I'm bored with kingdom things, and yet I've fallen in love with other things besides Jesus. How's your love this morning? How's your love life this morning with Jesus? How's your love for the church, for lost humanity? Are we hot this morning? Are we cold? Or are we lukewarm? Let's bow our heads for a minute and take an inventory because I believe God wants to restore some withered things and all we have to do is allow the Holy Spirit to identify what they are and take a little leap of faith and ask God, to let that wither thing stretch out and be restored. Let's just take a moment in his presence.
God, my faith withered. Restore it. My hope is withered. Restore it, Lord. God, my love has grown cold. I'm lukewarm. It's withered. Restore it, oh God. Maybe your prayer life is withered. Restore it, oh God. Maybe your love for others is withered. Maybe you've walked away from your calling and you don't talk about Jesus much anymore and your testimony is withered. Restore us, O oh Lord. Jesus told him, stretch out your hand. So take a leap of faith today and purpose in your heart to allow God to restore what's withered. We finish with verse 14 this morning, and it's, it's an interesting verse here. After these interactions, after Jesus displaying his divinity and uh, understanding the scripture and silencing the mouth of the religious rule keepers, after a miracle has taken place in everyone's sight, verse 14 is staggering. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Religion is irredeemable. It's an ugly spirit, a religious spirit. It won't tolerate the light. It won't tolerate the move of God. It won't tolerate the workings of the Holy Spirit. We should renounce religion in every ungodly form and embrace a relationship with Jesus Christ that allows the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God and to use us to do it. Father, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning. <laughs> Round two, Jesus is up two to nothing. It's no one going to go downhill for these guys. This morning, we're going to welcome you to this place. If you're a visitor here, I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come, and then we have two announcements, so we should be out by 4 or 5 o'clock. I want to welcome you here today. There could be many ways to define who you are, but God defines you because there's a hunger in your heart and you're seeking God for something new and something different. We want to welcome you here today, and I want to get to meet you and agree with what it is in your heart that you're looking for God to, to, to meet and to do and to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can even imagine because that's our God. So if you're here today and you're, seek, you're a seeker, you're hungry for the things of God, and you've never been here before, you've been here before, and you've been checking us out, that's okay. I understand that because I checked out the church that I was at when I got saved. So I totally understand where you're coming from. So if this is you, if you kindly raise your hand, I know so much as I would love to put it back in your hand. Any seekers here today in, in, in uh, Full Gospel Center? All righty, well, Full Gospel Center, just keep encouraging people, keep loving on people, keep sharing Jesus, keep inviting people. Some people aren't here because we haven't invited them. Let them know what God is doing in this place and, and create a hunger in someone that's desiring something new. Amen? Amen. Good morning. You Are Loved Valentine Banquet will be held for the Ladies of the Hoving Home Sunday, February 6th at 2 p.m., that is next Sunday. If you're interested in sponsoring a lady, see the table in the foyer for details. Chili Cook-Off. Are you doing this? Yep. 
So as I told first service this morning, you know, I could come up here and talk about how it'll be February 13th, Super Bowl Sunday, and that we should all start our Super Bowl parties early at church.